0: Amen. Amen. Well, listen, if you've your Bible, I want you to turn with me. We're gonna be jumping around a little bit, but we'll we'll be camping, finding most of our footing in Daniel chapter one. We'll be in verses one down through verse six today as we begin our new series on the book of Daniel. And so I pray that you'll be able to, to not just join us, but be able to participate with us as we look into God's Word together over the coming weeks as we see how Daniel was the witness that the world needed, and how his life is a reminder of what I our life can reflect in Jesus Christ as well. So that's what we're looking at in Daniel chapter 1 today. Um, but I want to kind of walk you through this a little bit as we prepare because there's some backstory as we get into Daniel chapter 1. And I was thinking about that as we've been in the midst of Zoom. And um, when we come back live, we'll be planning to not just start back worship, but in the coming months ahead or so. Um, Starting to bring small groups back on campus more intentionally, and some other things. Um, Zoom may be a part of our uh, DNA for a while. Video conferencing, and and I don't know if you had fun with Zoom. Early on, Zoom was really exciting. Uh, In the midst of that, we found out that you can have different backgrounds for Zoom. So I, I attended some great meetings right in front of the Sydney Opera House in Australia. There are a few that I attended up in the Rocky Mountains. Was in the rainforest for part of a meeting. We we. Had a great time pretending that we were not stuck in our house. Have you done that? Have you have you pretended? Maybe you said, "I need to go camping." and so you went out in the backyard and pitched a tent and went camping. Maybe you just needed a change of scenery, and so you didn't have the means to change things around, so you just kind of threw a new background down and, and called it a day. What we're talking about today as we look in the book of Daniel is that very mindset. How do we tell the right background, the real background from uh, from reality, from, from what is false? And so we'll look at that, and a verse came to my mind. It's in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 through 11. If you do, on your phone or your Bible, you can follow it and read with me. If you don't, you can listen along. This is what the Bible says. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. As we look at that, a few things I want you to, to be aware of, because this, to me, sets up the way that we should look at or or understand the book of Daniel, right? And, and this is what we need to know, is first of all, we have an adversary. Now, this is huge. The Bible says here, your adversary. The word adversary means accuser. Sometimes we think, as as um, maybe a cartoon drew it in our, our background, our backstory, there's a devil on one shore, shoulder and an angel on the other, as if the devil is the adversary of of God. The devil is as much a threat to the Lord as a as a dust mite without limbs. You know what I'm saying? There, there's no threat. The, the devil, the enemy, is not the a threat to the Lord. He is our adversary because the word adversary means accuser. Now, this is the most important thing as we start off Daniel chapter 1 to remember that the devil is our accuser. His role, his plan, his purpose is to bring you and I before the Lord and accuse us of our sins. That's, that's his goal. So when we talk about the devil tempting or seeking around us, his plan of devourment has to do with you and I falling away or not turning to the cross and him saying, look, look, look at them, look at what they did. That's his whole role. In fact, without Jesus Christ, his job would be very easy because Jesus Christ is whom the Lord sees us through by his choosing if we follow him. But, but the enemy is out there, and his whole role is to accuse you before God and before men. And so God gives us some pretty incredible direction. He said, so knowing that, be watchful, be alert, be aware. And after you suffer for a little while, in other words, this accuser is going to be active in our life for a while. And after a short season you and I will find that the God of all grace who calls us to his eternal glory will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. That's what we're looking towards. But I want you to know that the role of the enemy is to accuse us. And so what we see in Daniel chapter one, you can flip back there with me, are the adversary's tactics. And this is really important. It's almost like getting the game plan ahead of time. I mean, I won't use any illustrations like video cameras to still pitch signs or anything like that. That would be a little low blow. But you following me? If if you and I had the enemy's game plan the day before they were going to execute it, we would never lose a war. We would never feel discouraged. We would never feel defeated. Why? Because we know what is coming. Well, the Lord says I want you to know what's coming Your job is to watch for it not to think about it not to conceive a plan I think there are some times that you and I in our life that we truly desire to be the ones to create the plan And the Lord said creating the plan is my role Watching for what I tell you to watch out for so that you can follow my plan. That's your role Our our role is not in in management or administration. That's God's role so in our life, we have to be willing to say, God, you show me what to watch for and then let me be alert to watch for them. In the life of Daniel, we find a man whose testimony is simply someone who is alert and watching for the Lord and watching for the accuser and then following the Lord's plan. So, so what tactics does the enemy use? We see this in Daniel. Look with me in chapter uh, one, but we'll start in verse three and we'll go partway through verse four. All right? This is what the Bible says. And the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, To bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with the knowledge and understanding and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. You see, the first thing that that King Nebuchadnezzar does when he goes in, and we'll we'll go back to verse 1 and 2. We're not skipping it. What he does, when he goes in and he takes captive Israel, right, in Jerusalem, he brings back these youth. And in, in, in this, what does he do? He says, I, I want the ones who are without blemish, good appearance, skillful, knowledge, endowed, understanding. In other words, I want people who influence other people. And the first tactic he says is, I want to separate them. Right? He wants to separate God's people from one another. Now, why, why, would, why would the enemy, the adversary, want to separate us? Well, we can look to the New Testament very easily, and we can see that, that Jesus says, "Listen, when the flocks together, He has to go after the, the one that's away from the flock. Why? Because the ninety-nine have one another to edify one another. See, Nebuchadnezzar is no no fool, and the enemy and the adversary is no fool. He knows that if we can separate believers from one another, we can separate them from influences who would mold their lives in the ways of the Lord." He knew that that if he could pull these up-and-coming youth, somewhere between age 14 and 17 or so is what the age they think Daniel was. But the idea was to pull them away so that they wouldn't have those influences in their life. Minimize godly influence. And then what would he do? Well, when he took all of God's things, it says he took the vessels of the house of God and all these things with him. What did he do? He removed them from the ability to have regular public worship together. One of the reasons that we record live with you online, although we know it's hurting, is because we want you to know that we are here right now with you. If you're watching live, we're here right now with you. Because when we get separated from regular public times of worship, it's easy for our mind to forget. In the same way, if you and I stop thinking about eternity, we will stop living for eternity. Right? So... So why else would he separate them? Well, he wanted to, to separate them from people who would teach them and engage with them about the Word of God so that they would have to do it all on their own. He separated them from the fellowship and the wisdom of other types of godly people so that really they wouldn't have those influences in their life from people who are older, who are younger, who look different or talk different or act different but still follow the same God. Why? Because he knows that if he can separate them from the fellowship and the wisdom of other godly people, if he can keep them from from seeing, from viewing that daily illustration of godly people, then they are likely to forget. Church, the tactic of the enemy is pretty clear, it's pretty clean. It's almost like if you and I were were out and we were out camping and, and we had started a fire if you were to take one stick from that fire, from the hot encouragement of lighting each other up, the longer that stick is away from the fire, the better the chance is for it to die out, for its light to slowly fade. And, and the lesser there is a chance of it becoming relit, if it fades, because it's away from the fire. The enemy desires to separate you and me from the godly influences in our life who encourage us who edify us who challenge us who who are willing to say with gentleness and respect the way that you're thinking doesn't align with the god that you serve i don't know if you're sitting at home and you're thinking like this right now when i first read this i thought lord I don't know if I've ever felt or read this before, but I've never also been in the situation I can't, I'm in. Do you know right now, Barna research group uh, just did a study of active church members. And since March, in the last five months, 32% of regular church attending people who confessed Christ as their Lord and Savior, 32% have stopped engaging in church activity completely. I want you to let that set in for just a moment. A third of the active church has been so impacted by separation that for some reason or another, they have let go. And if you're watching this, you're not a part of that third, but do you know the pool? Because because when you and I are separated from others, everything starts to feel surreal. We've seen small group engagement drop like a rock because it's not the same, or I, I can't do it, or it's just not feeding me. It's amazing how separation feeds into, hey, this is too hard, it's not right, it's not the same. Separation makes us think weirdly. I read somewhere the other day or a comment or heard someone say not not from our our clan our church family But said if I have to wear a mask to church, then i'm not going and I thought that's crazy You'll wear a mask to the grocery store And get what you need, but if it's about jesus, you won't get what you need. It's amazing how separation Causes you and I To fall away Parents are tired they're worn out of filling every role i had one lady say this to me the other day we're at the food drive here at the church and she's masked up and we're distanced and this lady loves jesus and she walks with the lord and she said i am tired i'm not made for this church no you're not made for this. Separation is a tactic of the enemy. And you and I have to be all in through the difficult seasons that you and I would pursue fellowship. My wife, and I may have shared this with you. She she were she and I were talking the other day. Whenever God puts a name on her heart, she just calls her texts right then. She calls, she texts, she doesn't call. And so about two weeks ago, I said, I'm going to do that, Lord, because when you put names on my heart, first of all, I have been on the phone talking to believers last week more than maybe I have in months. Why? Because the Lord has put on my heart that you and I have to fight for closeness, for proximity in a world that's calling us to be separated. And we can do that in a way that honors the Lord. We can do that in a way that cares for one another. And we can do that in a way that's considerate of our community. But we are not subject to our community. We are subject to God. And as David showed in his illustration, can be obedient to the laws of the land and still be together. If you're weary and worn out, maybe right now is your stopping point in saying, the separation has gotten to me. I have used excuses not to be a part of a small group. I have used excuses not to talk to my neighbor about Jesus Christ. I have made excuses for not challenging my children or or my students to run hard after Jesus. Don't give in to the tactics of the enemy. Look at verse 4. We'll go a little bit further. This is what it says. The Bible says this. Youth without blemish of good appearance, skillful in wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding and learning, competent in in, in the king's palace. Now listen, and then teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Then teach them the literature of Chaldeans. Because here's the reality. If you and I, if the enemy separates us from the body, physically, spiritually, emotionally, then it makes room for him to indoctrinate us with a new teaching right i mean we're absence this is just common sense if we're separate from the godly influence there's a void that needs to be filled so what happens it's a tank that can be filled with a new type of fuel a new type of gas and that gas is the indoctrination the teaching of the babylonian ways now don't don't catch this Nebuchadnezzar' is brilliant, our enemy's brilliant. He knows when you're weak or when you're vulnerable. In this season, Daniel and his friends, 14 to 17, the Bible will tell us that' somewhere in there is when they were taken. Why would they take them that young? Well, we know in child development. that that children mimic their parents until around 10 or 12. But after that, they're watching, they're modeling the godly influences in their community. So as a parent, here's a free tip. If you're running hard with your children and doing devotionals daily as a preschooler, don't stop when they're a teenager because now they're trying to determine, do you buy into the faith that you're teaching them? And if you quit when they become a teenager, guess what? You're teaching them. Someone else can fill that cup. Nebuchadnezzar says, now that you're looking for modeling, I read a report that says that says adolescence now is extended from 18 to 20 to 24, possibly to 26, where we're watching for that model. If I can separate you from the godly influences, then I make you vulnerable to the teaching that I have. Remove the godly models and provide replacements Don't don't be deceived. Nebuchadnezzar's goal was to have the citizens of Jerusalem live and think as Babylonians. That was his goal. To make them live and think as Babylonians. They were the most brilliant. Sometimes we think that sin equals a lack of intelligence. Not at all. Some of the most depraved minds in history, some of the greatest villains of our history were brilliant. Why? Because they had a void in their doctrine that was filled by a new teaching. John Bunyan would say it this way. We need to understand that the world thinks differently. So much so that in his book, A Pilgrim's Progress, he says that the pilgrim, Christian Christian, comes upon a man, Mr. Worldly Wise. You see, you and I need to understand that the indoctrination of the world, the way the world wants us to think, is completely different. It's projecting a way of life where God is absent, just not in the thoughts. He can be a nice sideline figure. He can be in the background. In fact, you can keep a Bible at your house, just don't open it. Or you can flip a devotional chart in the morning and read it every day and feel good about yourself, just don't apply it. Because if if you can be separated from the godly influences in your life and you can start thinking about solving the solutions of the world, enduring the trials of your life, of your marriage, of your society, and trying to solve those puzzles and God's just an afterthought, then you and I are seduced. We have become citizens of heaven who think like Babylonians. I've been looking. Racial reconciliation has to happen. It can't fall off the plate. But as I've been reading headlines and watching news, Jesus is absent in every plan. Money's way present. Idols all over the place. Fear rising. Discouragement, absolutely. But Jesus, not so much. Why? Because if we can be separated from one another church Then the standard tone of worldly wisdom says You can solve racial reconciliation without the bride of Christ Let me tell you clearly That will never be the case As long as the church is separated Healing won't occur I've been listening to peace And seeing riots and and protests and angers and, And all kinds of filth spewed all over the place But you know what I've heard? I haven't heard the words of Scripture piped into those conversations. All the tactics that we see, they reek of the thoughts of Babylon. Safety. Care for your health. The cross isn't in communication. Church, complaining about the circumstances is not a Christian tactic either. Either. Jesus did not complain about his environment. He lived the word. Here's a moment, and and this is potent, and maybe if you didn't stop after the first point, you stop after this one. If the election in November is your primary motivation for speaking about your faith, then you are thinking like a Babylonian. Because Jesus doesn't wrap himself in red, blue, or have pins that have elephants or donkeys. You see, when political motivation becomes our way of resolving the spiritual filth of the world, then we have said that there is a savior in the political route, there is not. When, when, when fear about your, your life drenches you and you are waiting on every word of some great physician or some great pharmacy to have an answer, then you have stepped down the Lord in your heart and you have made a savior out of a man. That's idolatry. That's Babylon sneaking in. You're separated from the body. And we are thankful that there are godly men and women in our political system. We are thankful for the godly individuals who are in our, our medical society. But listen to what Jesus says. Not me, Matthew chapter 10. What I tell you in the dark, say it in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who can destroy the both soul and body in hell. Our judge, our king, and our savior, none of them are indwelling the lives. Let me say that differently. None of them are are a person at the head of a pharmaceutical company wearing a, a lab coat or a tie in Washington. And so if you and I have found our hearts being softened by the fear and the hurt and the anger and the questions, then be alert, be watchful. Your enemy is there to accuse you before the Almighty, saying, look, that's your bride. The citizen of heaven now thinks like a citizen of Babylon. It's a tactic of the enemy. The Bible goes further, and this is what it says. Verse five The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate, and the wine that he drank. And they were educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. You see, there's one more tactic, and this is this is beautiful. This isn't just a Nebuchadnezzar thing. This is the accuser. It works so beautifully. We we separate people from their godly influence so that we indoctrinate them, right? If your kid, if you if YouTube is their main form of information, then my guess is there's some indoctrination going on. If your news feed, you just kind of go through you can get your head straight right there. Separate, indoctrinate, and then they'll be easy to seduce then they'll be easy to seduce they'll be easy to draw in separated from from their influences now seeking a new way of thinking now we can throw out a little crumbs and they'll have it and that's what king nebuchadnezzar says he says daniel i have taken you from your home i am teaching you to think my way and let me show you the fruit The edification that comes from depending on me. Let me show you how fear fades when your heart rests on my name. Let me show you how courage rises when you're filled with the fruit of my hand. There's no reason to follow the hard walk of Christ even for a season when you can dine on the delicacies of Babylon. Mm. His goal was clear. Move them from seeking eternal things to focusing completely on today. Their needs, their health, their surroundings, their enjoyment. Have you ever encountered the problem of seduction? I think sometimes we get seduced in ways that we haven't been looking for. There's safety and encouragement with someone who expresses anger the way that I express anger. There's safety and encouragement in someone who expresses fear in the way that I express fear. There's safety and encouragement when I'm around people who express hurt in the way I feel hurt. You see, what seduction says is you and I can look for places, for people, for things to put ointments on the wounds that the Lord Almighty has been slow to heal. And if you and I start looking for that ointment outside of the cross, watch out. Remember, we have an accuser who is there, and this is his tactic. But, but I want you to know there's a good news to this sermon. There's a good news to this story. This is just the beginning The headlines read this way. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. That's what the headline says. Jerusalem and God's king, Jehoiakim, have been besieged by Nebuchadnezzar. The world has won and the people of God have lost. That's the headline because the historical headline written in the tone of men is never true to the theological headline of God. If If it is pinned by our hand outside of the submission of the Lord, outside separated from the Lord, from his plan, then it's not going to be the truth of the Lord. So what's the truth of the Lord when the headline is telling us, be afraid, you're losing, don't stick to your guns, don't don't fall on your face before the Almighty, get up and find a new path. What does it say? Chapter 1, verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hands with some of the vessels of the house of God the headline Nebuchadnezzar has won the people of God are following a fallen way the reality the Lord gave his people over to the environment that they found themselves in of which Nebuchadnezzar was the head of You see, the headline says the world has power. The theological truth says that God is sovereign. He gave them over. Now pause for just a moment. If I am in Daniel's shoes, and and maybe I'm reading this from our perspective, why would God do that? How would God give his people over? In fact, some of people might say, I could never worship a God who would do that. Second Chronicles, chapter 36, verse 15 and 16. The moment before this captivity begins, the Bible says this. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words, scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of God, the Lord... Excuse me, the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. Verse 17 says, Therefore, and the rest is Daniel's story. How could God do this? In his grace and mercy. He wasn't telling the lost people of the world. This is directed at his church. Now, church, right now you're looking in and you're saying, separated and seduction. The enemy is so horrible. What God's saying, he's, this is the enemy. He is as see through as a clean crystal glass. The discipline is on the church you have been following false god you have been seduced you have been indoctrinated the people of god his people had been marrying their ideas their wants their truth their half-hearted commitment to the lord and still calling him god and naming themselves faithful and god sent people to say over and over and over i made you for more i've saved you for more i have life abundantly for you and they kept not listening And their half-hearted commitment to the Lord rose up such a rebuke that in His grace, He didn't destroy them completely. But there was no more a remedy outside of this daily judgment. The rebuke of a weak bride was the grace of an almighty God. Church, right now, You and I can get angry at the tactics of the enemy and you might want to point fingers. But stop. Stop. Have you been seduced? Have you been indoctrinated with worldliness and Christ-likeness and trying to mix them together? Have you allowed yourself to be separated because if you can't have it like it always has been then you just won't have it at all that's your decision not the enemy be alert be watchful the lord is allowing us this season why what we are in is not final judgment What we are in is a season of discipline as a country, as a community, and of a bride. Hebrews 12, 6 says, for whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. I don't like discipline. But if I have been snookered by my own separation if i have allowed a blending of worldly doctrine and godly doctrine together in my life if i have been seduced into thinking that there is an ointment outside of the almighty god that can heal a wound of sin in my life then i need his discipline because i want to repent and to return see Nebuchadnezzar tried in the life of Daniel we'll see something In verse 6 says it all it says the Bible says in verse 6 among these were Daniel Hananiah Mishael and Azariah of the tribe of Judah see Nebuchadnezzar tried to separate them but God ensured that they still had one another Nebuchadnezzar would try to indoctrinate them, but God would make sure that Daniel had the truth at hand. Nebuchadnezzar would try to seduce them, but God made sure that he kept eternity on their minds and hearts. This morning, you may be living in Babylon, but you can live victoriously as a witness of Jesus Christ. Maybe this morning, Christian, it's time to repent of your anger at the tactics of the enemy, and it's time to fall on your knees and thank God for showing you the seduction or the indoctrination or the separation that you have surrendered to in your life. Church, this morning, maybe you're watching. Maybe you're a part of what has been going on. And maybe you don't know, you don't claim to be a citizen of heaven, but you want to be. The the Lord rescued me from a citizenship of wrath of this world by His grace. And by that same grace, He's allowed you to be connected with me right now, right here so that you could see eternity and experience its blessing and its taste today. It will not happen in the fruit of Babylon but it will happen at the hand of Jesus Christ who promises that in a little while in a little while We will see the fullness of his grace. In a little while, we will know what the fullness of life is. All you have to do is repent. Don't get angry at your mom or your dad. Don't get upset with your college education. Don't be angry at the media. Repent. Say, Lord, I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And by your grace you let me be captive. So give him glory for the hardship because without it there may have been no remedy. Bow your knees not before the king of Babylon but from the almighty God who by grace gave his son so that the accuser would have nothing to say when you bow on your knees in prayer Father God thank you thank you for letting us see the tactics of the enemy Lord forgive us for falling subject to the wisdom of men and and becoming silent as the bride of Christ so stir us, Lord, not to try to push a godly agenda using worldly fashions, functions, not using worldly words. Let us abandon it all and take up the cross so that we might experience the joy of the king even while living, living in Babylon. In Jesus' name, amen.